Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week I sit down with Beth Knott from Mojo Five O Radio, and we find out just how glamorous it is to work on a cruise ship. That's coming up after I tell you about our sponsor, American Pride Roasters Coffee. This month, the APR Coffee crew wants you to remember Benjamin Franklin. If George Washington was America's indispensable man, Franklin was America's indispensable mind. Franklin was an author, an editor, a printer, a postmaster, state president, inventor, scientist, philosopher, and of course, a statesman. His life's work advanced American knowledge more than anyone else in his time. He would have made a great guest for At The Mic, I would like to add. Probably do a dozen episodes with him, that's for sure. But Ben Franklin embraced humor, morality, virtue, and hard work and the coffee named after him is just as complex as he is. A bold brew that works as a daily coffee, an excellent espresso, or even served as a cold brew. The Franklin features French roasted Colombian beans, and it is without question one of the many delicious flavors that you need to try from aprcoffee.com. So head over there to their website, aprcoffee.com, and you order at least two pounds of coffee there, Type in ATM in the special instructions section during checkout, and they're going to include an 8-ounce bag of the Reagan, a time-for-choosing blend. That's a $10 value. APRCoffee.com. Type ATM when you get to the checkout. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Beth Knott is my guest this week on At The Mic. Beth hails from Nashville, Tennessee, with memories to share, where she's rubbed shoulders with numerous famous stars and musicians. She was right there, a part of the action when professional bull riding got its start, and today she can be found bringing you Mojo 50 Radio, based right out of here in Dallas, Texas. She's done it all, and she's my friend, Beth Knott, on this week's At The Mic. I'm trying to think of where to begin, because there's a lot of ground to cover here. Um... You and I met at The Blaze. We did. That's correct. How long ago was that that we worked together there? Well, I didn't start working there full time until 2015, but I started doing freelance stuff in late 2013 or okay. early 2014. All right. But then I got the job with um, Mercury One doing Restoring Unity yeah. in the summer of 2015. Okay. Before that, I'd done Keys to the Kingdom mm-hmm. with uh, American Dream Labs. And then I did um, uh, the Mercury One Restoring Unity in... That actually happened in, what, August? Yeah, August, 828 of that year. Then I got full-time being the supervising producer for Mercury Radio Arts at the end of that year. But in between, I went to Slovakia. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So you wore many hats over there. I did. You did it all. I did. And I think we'll just go ahead and say this from the beginning here, and I'm going to let you come up with a definition. Okay. But- there was a former Blaze personality over there as well that many in this audience know and love, who's Mojo Five O's guy, uh, Point Man, Brad Staggs. He's episode fourteen and fifteen. If you would like to go back and listen to those at the mic episodes, so tell us about you and Brad because you guys are joined at the hip. We are. Uh, he is my in case of emergency contact. 
um, which is very long to say, but that's what he is. So uh, <laughs> when he came to Texas, I felt the need to go because if you're in case of emergency contact goes to Texas, you have to go too. See, this is why I let you come up with the definition. <laughs> I wasn't going to put words in your mouth because you knew him well before anything at the blaze i did i okay. did we, we had worked together a long time ago and then in nashville in nashville long yeah. before he was my in case of emergency contact <laughs> so uh we knew each other for a while on a working basis and then later he became my in case of emergency contact so he's got the little red star on my phone so if you can't unlock my phone you can get to him if you find my phone ICE, yeah. right exactly in case of emergency exactly. yes yes so, yeah. yes um very well so you were born and raised in nashville tennessee i was i love nashville tennessee Hmm. Still? Still. That's good. Now, I will say this. Every time we've gone back, I'm shocked at how much it's changed. And I don't always think that's for the better, but like... That's um, how I look at Atlanta. Yeah. You go back and you're like, wow, um, a lot of things have changed. But I I still love Nashville at heart. I don't know that I may... I would say I'm a diehard country music fan, but I love the music industry that's in Nashville. Uh And I love the fact that you can go to Broadway any night of the week and hear excellent live music. You can see people play on the street with their guitar cases open that are as good as you would see in any other city in prime time being paid. I mean, it's just that good there. So tell us about the Bluebird Cafe. Yes. Because I went to Nashville. I know that you're familiar with Dave Ramsey. I am. Who has his uh, empire based out of Nashville. My ex-husband worked with him. This is the very first, before he became... Dave Ramsey, when he still had a partner and they did the Money Matters show. Oh, wow. Okay. So small world. It is, yes. So I was the program director at a radio station in Charleston, South Carolina, when Dave and his crew flew us up, a whole bunch of PDs from around the country and wined us and dined us, you know, for a long weekend. And that was a blast. That's how I know Nashville, Mm -hmm. really, is just that weekend there. Uh, with Dave Ramsey's crew, but they took us to the Bluebird Cafe, where I guess a bunch of country music artists get their start. That's true. Have you been in there? I mean, how familiar are you with that? I have been. It's And of course, it was made very popular by the television show Nashville, because they were in the Bluebird all the time. Mm. And they actually, they shot the first couple episodes in the Bluebird, and then they built the Bluebird in a soundstage so that they wouldn't have, because the Bluebird's very busy. So they built the whole thing in a soundstage. And if you, um, it's funny, it's nowhere near downtown Nashville. It's nowhere near where you think anything would be. It's in a strip mall in Green Hills. (laughs) So, you know, people expect to go to downtown Nashville and go to like bars like Tootsie's, which is on on Broadway in downtown and places like that. Uh, Blake Shelton has a bar down there now. I mean, there's a bunch of um, Kid Rock has a bar down there now. So there's all these places up and down Broadway that are great. But then the Bluebird is literally in a strip mall in Green Hills, and it's next to a high-end furniture store, which, by the way, was a client of mine for a while when I did a little sales for Nashville Arts Magazine. So I'd kind of go over there sometimes, check out who was coming to the Bluebird oh, when nice. I had to drop stuff off. But And then, you know, if you didn't know somebody to get in the door, tickets sold out in a heartbeat, right. and people would stand in line for hours to get in there. It was, um, but they had the best songwriters nights of anybody, bar mm. none. And that's where... Just about anybody that's anybody in Nashville, especially songwriters, got their start. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a really cool place. Very intimate space. Very small. Um, I can't remember like, the couple times I went. Shockingly small. Shockingly small. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's probably 15, 20 tables in there. That's it. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not much bigger than that at all. And um, you know, you pay to get in, and it was when I went, it was reasonable. And then you know, you had like a two drink minimum or whatever, because that's kind of what they did to make their money, because. 
I mean, they didn't have enough seats to be making money off the seats. So yeah. it had to be stuff like that. But yeah, it was um, Bluebird. Bluebird has been around Nashville for a long time. And Amy Curling, who ran it forever, was a Nashville staple. Everybody knew who she was, uh-huh. for sure. So growing up mm-hmm. in Nashville, did you get to do that kind of country music stuff growing up or never even thought about it i mean it was like you just grew up in nashville i mean i knew we were called music city and i brad and i were just talking a little bit about opryland because i grew up opryland was our babysitter we had season passes from the time i was seven and Mm. back then you could drop your kids off at a theme park and leave all day and (laughs) nobody called you know social services Mm. on you and that's what happened i mean from the time i was probably 10 or 11 you know, you get dropped off at the front gate of Opryland, stay all day, ride rides, meet my friends there, and the parents would pick me back up in the afternoon. So I knew about the country music aspect of it because Opryland was so centered around that. Mm-hmm. So many people came out of that. And when my parents would go with me to the park, the heat, my dad always wanted to go see Country Music USA. It was his favorite show because that was like um, a show that that pictured a country through the years and was all of the great country artists. And, you know, I, I always tell people that my I have a very broad but not very deep uh, depth of music because uh, every song I knew I learned at Opryland and you got two lines of it and then you moved on to something else. So, I mean, I know a lot of stuff, but it's it's all based on that. You know, you know the two lines of it and you move on. Right. Um, but I loved music because of Nashville. I sang uh-huh. in the church growing up. Um, Amy Grant was my very favorite. I still think to this day that if uh, we were, if we knew each other, we'd be friends because uh-huh. our backgrounds are so similar. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, I knew music growing up in Nashville and, and the Christian music industry is actually headquartered in Nashville. Yeah, as well. that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that I knew, um, I knew that when I got out of school, I wanted to come back and be in the country music industry. That's what I really, really wanted. Um, I tried that for a little while and, and but that's how I ended up in television is because I got a job with the Nashville network uh-huh. because of some of the connections in country music. And so I ended up in television instead but i loved kind of the country music industry i loved our very brad and i that when we had a company our very first office was on music row still my favorite office ever it was a they all these little old houses lined up along there and it was like all these producers and pr people and publishers and stuff and then the the every you know every block or so you'd see a big building you knew that was record label but like all the little houses in between were tiny little houses that had independent producers publishers oh, pr wow. agents and we rented an office down there and that was i my favorite ever i loved being in that community so when you were growing up and getting dropped off at Opryland uh-huh. and all that good stuff, mm-hmm. were, were you hanging out with your sister Deborah there? I was some. She was seven years younger than me, so okay. that 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 was actually later at the mall days. My parents would make me take her to the mall when I was old <laughs> enough to drive. <laughs> How fun so, was that? Yeah, here I am, sixteen, dragging the nine-year-old oh. around, and all my friends are like, "Going, why did you have to bring her?" And you know, so that was, was she like, at least cool though. Uh, Deborah's far cooler than I am. Well, it far worked out. cooler than okay. I am. Yes, she is. She is. Um, yeah, she she is uh, she she's actually I look up to Deborah a lot, even though she's my little sister. She's a lot cooler than I am, and she uh, is probably next to your wife. I'm going to say this: the best mom I've ever met in my whole wide life. She Aww. is she is um, she has three boys, two of which have type one diabetes. Oh, wow. uh, Robbie's the oldest, then Ryan, then Brett. They all have the R's, and so you got to run down that fast. <laughs> and then they have a dog named Rusty. So there you go. Um, so, but she is a great mom, and uh, cool. I could never imagine. Uh, a mom that dealt with two kids with type one diabetes better than she does. Wow. She is a fantastic advocate for them and makes sure that their health is, you know, top of the list. So cool. Yep. So 
a lot of your childhood, a lot of your life mm-hmm. has been centered around Opryland. Correct. Not only visiting it as a child, but later you worked there. I did. And you worked there as a dresser. Correct. Tell us what a dresser does. So um, <laughs> I really, and I did do some singing in theme parks, but I really wanted to be a singer at Opryland. But it was really hard. I mean, Opryland was tough competition. Yeah. I mean, John Rich came out of there. I mean, a lot of people came out of there. So um I, but I wanted to be involved in the entertainment side of it. I knew I didn't just want to, you know, be the person that put the bars down on the rides or anything like that. So I started doing some research. If I couldn't get in as a singer, uh, then what could I do? So a dresser was the person that literally dressed the people in the shows. So I was afraid of. Yes. And so what I would bring every morning, I'd go get the costumes, uh-huh. right? And I'd bring them to the to the stu- to the the, the uh, theater where they were. I'd line them up according to you know who had to wear them. And then in the middle of the shows, I would do fast changes. So so would they just stand there? While so, you dressed No, they them, would do or? it too, but like I had to help because there were zippers and there was, uh-huh. you know, shoes and there was all this stuff. There was accessories. And no so, margin for error on time. Huh? No, not, not. Yeah. I mean, I had one change and it was, boy, she was fast. It was a show called And the Winner Is. Good little singer, but a little Italian. Can't remember her name now. I think it was Cindy, but Italian. And I mean, she would just, she flailed and she knocked me in the nose so many times because we had a 16 second change, oh, a complete man. wardrobe change to get her, you know, from the time she hit me to the time she had to be back on stage. Oh. And, you know, they made the costume so that they did come on and off quicker, but still you had to make sure, you know, and you don't know how many times somebody went out with halfway zipped or, you know, I mean, and, and, and the guys, you know, wore dance belts and that was it. So there was a lot of <laughs> naked stuff going on around backstage. A lot most of, of the, naked stuff going on. Yeah. And most of the women wore tights and then the like the little flesh colored bloomers, you know, so they, they went on and on. But mm. depending on the, the costume, maybe or maybe not wore a bra. So there was a lot of naked, you know, boobs and naked. <laughs> a lot uh, of stuff going a lot on. Of, a lot of men's butts hanging out and stuff. It was... Um, <laughs> But most of them were gay, so you know that was, uh, yeah, that was um, okay. All was, right, but no, it was, and I actually loved that job. I ended up uh, working my way up. I became the lead dresser. Uh, what does so, that mean? So then I got to drive the van around the park and check on other shows, and I could fill in on other shows. So for a while, Brenda Lee had a show at Opryland, and she had her personal dresser. But anytime her dresser was out, she would request me. Mm. So I would get to go do that How show for cool a while. Brenda yeah. Lee was cool. She was yeah. I liked her a lot. I mean, you've held a lot of jobs in your life. One of them you worked as a performer on the Scandinavian Dawn cruise ship. I I was in prison there for three yeah, months. Well, yes. Tell us was, about that. How is it on a cruise ship and why was this one especially nasty, as so, he said in the email? These were day cruises. So they were not cruises where people would spend a week. They oh. would go to the Bahamas and back. So there, there were three uh, boats. There was the Scandinavian Dawn, which was out of Fort Lauderdale. I can't remember the other two. One of them, I think, was the Discovery and something else. But there was one out of Miami and one out of um, Tampa that would, you know, the Tampa one just went in the water. That's all they did because they didn't have any island to go to. So they would go in the water and do gambling. Both the ones out of Miami and the one out of Fort Lauderdale would go to the Bahamas. And we would either do Freeport. I loved the days we went to Bimini because Bimini uh, is this tiny little island in the Bahamas. But and, and we didn't get to go to the island every time we went because the passengers would get let off first. And they had there were tender boats. You couldn't, it was not big enough to pull a cruise ship up right. to the to the dock. So there were tender boats. And so if, you know, for whatever reason, it took the passengers longer to to tender over, then we didn't get to go. But when we did get to go, I love that little island. The most beautiful white beaches and blue. That's where they do all the marlin 
um, hunting contest. That's Ernest Hemingway had a house there. Then they right. it's claimed that maybe he wrote Old Man in the Sea there, and it was like, I mean, it's just a beautiful little island. But so we would be on these, um, but you know, these boats were not designed to hold passengers for long periods of time. So the food was terrible. There was no decent food like you know big cruise ships have, and um, uh, had you know all the staff that lived on these boats had literally six by six rooms with a sink in it and we all shared a bathroom down the hall there's no portholes there's no anything and um our particular boat had been a cross ocean liner ferry boat for cars bringing cars in from yeah but they didn't fill the hull so the top was heavier so we would go through the gulf stream and that boat would all i mean you could almost feel the sides hit this edge of the water. Everybody oh. got seasick on that boat all the time. I actually was, did better with it than most. Like, I didn't feel great the first couple of weeks I was on the boat. It took me three months after I got off that boat not to feel like I was rocking when I was on dry and land. And that's why you describe yeah. in the email that uh, the Scandinavian Dawn was a, quote, terrible, nasty, awful little cruise ship. It was. It was terrible, awful. And we had, um, we were not... Uh, regulated by U.S. company, oh. so I got to be the second in control of Medic because I spoke English. Period. Only reason. What's the, and, what's the biggest tragedy you ever had to deal with on the? Well, we didn't really, yeah. but um, but the whole thing was if we had had a like an evacuation. Supposedly, I was supposed to go to, and we drilled this every week. I was supposed to go to the medics and help them with people before we went to our place to get where we knocked our little, you know, life raft off. And I was supposed to, you know, we were all supposed to wait our, you know, the first bell would ring. I would go to the medic and everybody else would just wait for the next bell to ring and whatever. And I'm thinking that would never in a bazillion years happen. If there was people getting, trying to get off this boat, all of us that knew where those life rafts were, were going there first. We're throwing them off. You know, the the boat's going down. And it was funny because I called my mom after I'd been on there a couple of weeks petrified to death of both water and fire those are the things that scare me the most in life and here i am out in the middle of the ocean on something that can burn that we do you know life raft drills on every week and i'm thinking what in the world did i do here and you know it was decent money but um that would have been 1990 or 91 while i was out um one of the gulf wars started and so you know we're i remember sitting in the bar watching in the satellite channel on the news and thinking you know oh, here we are and the whole world's on fire and I, and then <laughs> this was funny so we we did a little review show which the guy that 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 created the show had been a performer at opryland forever he still does these shows for a living so he created review shows just like opryland did so our show like went through the i don't know 20s 30s 40s i didn't went all the way up we did all you know we did the 40 songs, and then we, you know, got our little pool skirts out and did the 50 songs, and then, you know, I don't remember, 60s, I think we had go-go boots and whatever. It was, you know, we did we did a little bit of everything, but we'd get, our last uh, number of the show was a Vegas number. Why would they decided to do a Vegas number? I don't know. But so we had these, they made the headdresses before they cast it, so they were way too big for any of us. So we had to shove them with paper towels to get them to stay on our heads, you know? And then we had these feather boas and these little things, and we'd come out, we'd do our little last number. And that was supposed to distract everybody, because this is when we were coming back into dock, right? But if the waters weren't great, it would take them longer. And so half the time, the boat would be going back and forth and the bingo machine would come un, un you know roped from the back and would go rolling across the stable and then one oh that sounds safe oh it was it was unbelievable and then one of our girls decided that about i don't know two months into this that this was stupid she didn't want to do it anymore so she got drunk before the last show every night and one night she fell down 
in the Vegas number and the big headdress goes rolling into the audience and all the paper towels are coming out everywhere. Yeah. It was lots of fun. It was, um, yeah, it was an interesting time in my life. And that three months felt like 30 years. It was to, to do something that I loved doing. And I loved being a performer like that. You would have thought I would have loved every moment of it, but that boat was so terrible. One of our cast members, um, we had a um, staff captain who kind of was on a power trip. Uh-oh. And so he would, you had a, when you left, if you were a um, a staff member and, and there were classes and we actually got a first officer class because if you didn't, you couldn't even walk in public. You had to walk under the bowels of the boat every time you went anywhere. So our guy arranged for us to at least get a, a and that meant we could actually go into the bar and order a drink. We yeah. couldn't sit at the bar, but we could go into the bar and order a drink, whatever. But so um, if the staff captain didn't like what you were doing, they could what was called red flag you. So when you went to get off at shore at night, you had to turn in your card and then they would put a red card in there until you came back and everything was good. If it wasn't good, that red card stayed in there. And so you were red flagged. And when you went to get off the boat, um, they would tell you, oh, sorry, you've got a red flag. You can't get off the boat. We had one of our cast members get red flagged for 30 days. I can't imagine. But what would you, I don't understand. What would you get red flagged for? He got red flag for being late coming back. So mm-hmm. we, um, you know, we would have to get off after the passengers and then be back on before the passengers even started boarding, even though we had a totally different entrance. It wasn't even the same entrance, but um, he got red flag for being late to the staff entrance for 30 days. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, mm. it was not. So you live here in Dallas now. I do. With um, a Mr. Brad Staggs. I do. Your, I mean, that's that's convenient that you're in case of emergency contact. You have to stay close is to those. that you have close. have to stay close to them, yeah. But the last time I was here in this awesome studio, um, your little kitty cat was running around making noise, he knocking was. over stuff. Yeah, he's usually around. Where where is Doc Kitty? You know, this morning I think it's rained so much lately that he doesn't he does not like the rain. And so now that it's sunny, he's like, I'm going out when uh-huh. I can. I'm having a good time. Well that's gonna play for a little while and it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah but because I thought he might yeah. join us. But yeah, no, excuse no. me. He's he's also um He's very temperamental in that he changes his pattern. So like he'll have several days where he does the same exact thing for like 10 days in a row. And then then like the 11th day, you'll be like, where is he? And he's totally changed his pattern. And that's what he's doing for the next 10 days. Well, he gets bored. Easily, he gets bored. Easily, he just yes. kind of mix it up. Huh? He does. Much like his father. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're a big music fan. I am. But I don't know. And by the way, I'm just... I'm just learning the world of Sirius XM radio, satellite radio. Oh, it's okay? a wonderful place. It is. And by the way, never pay full price. No. Okay. You no. gotta you gotta you gotta negotiate with yeah. these people. Okay? Yeah. So I'm intrigued when people put in this email the satellite radio stations that I have to go and then check out. But obviously Margaritaville channel speaks for itself, Jimmy Buffett. But no shoes radio. What is that? So No Shoes Radio was started by Kenny Chesney, which ironically was my very first guest when I was the producer of the Wild Horse Saloon Show. How before cool anybody that? knew who he was. Um, he had That's a mullet. Awesome. It was hysterical. He, he did. <laughs> it was on a label that doesn't even exist anymore called Capricorn Records. But he came out. He was my very first guest on the Wild Horse Saloon Show. And of course, he's made a pretty good career for himself. And um, he started uh, similar to, to Margaritaville, No Shoes Radio, in that it's... Um, 
very beachy, very that okay. sort of field. So he's not as much country. He is still country, but he's not as much country as he is that, you know, relaxed beach feeling. Brad always says that it's, um you know, slow and sad and dirgy music. I don't think so. It uplifts me very much. I mean, it's like to me when you hear songs um uh, from him that are on there, I, I like the the. You know, the storytelling, the depth, that sort of thing. But I have to check it out. Yeah, I I love it. And it's one of those things that, that I could listen to all the time. Oh. Now, I'll have to say, I'm not a huge reggae fan. And mm-hmm. he does play reggae on there sometimes. But Interesting. Yeah, I'm not. And it's not that I don't like reggae, but like. You probably got to hear a lot of that in the Caribbean. Am I wrong? I did. And that's the funny. Maybe that's why I don't like it when you hear it on you mainstream. You probably associate it with that terrible, nasty, awful little cruise ship, that the Scandinavian be. Dawn. That could be, but it's also very different in the Caribbean than what you hear on mainstream. And so I think probably if I was hearing a local band on an island, I'd love that. But it's like, you know, if you only hear about three reggae artists on mainstream and they're not quite like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll check it out. Yeah. Right, you, gotta, you should. It's very good. We got to talk about your favorite app on your phone, which <laughs> Chick Fil A. Yeah, it's a Chick Fil A app. I've got I've got an issue with the Chick Fil A app. What is it? It's not the app itself that I have an issue with. I have an issue. Uh, let me. Let me there's, I don't want to get off on a tangent about my whining here, but uh, I will compliment Chick Fil A in that so many businesses now, because I like to pay cash when you have changed due to you. Like the other day, I had $12.11 due to me. They gave me $12.10, and I was very upset by that. Where's my penny? Right. Chick-fil-A, I've noticed, has been doing the exact opposite. If they owed me $12.11, they just give me $12.15 back. Right. So they they round up. Thank right. you so much. You yep. guys are awesome. But the app, if I forget to, to show them my app to scan for credit as I'm going through the drive-thru, well, now it's too late, and they give me the receipt, and they see I can log on. I'm not going to log on. That receipt's gone now. Whatever. So what am I missing well, on the Chick-fil-A app? Um, that, that, that was just a complete aside, me See, the problem is that you're paying cash. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I say, actually right. think that's probably a better Dave thing. Dave Ramsey, remember? Right. But, um, <laughs> uh, but Chick-fil-A's app is yeah. really designed for you adding funds in. And I did that in a pinch one time. And I yes. love that because... It's like it's almost after you've done it, and Dave Ramsey would would hate this because this right. is true the truth. But it's almost like it's free money after you've put that twenty five dollars on there, and you can like I can get a Chick Fil A today oh, because yeah. I have like fourteen dollars on my app. Like yeah, absolutely. And so, but I also love now through this pandemic, they were the first, and they got it done so right about the curbside. Yeah, you pull up in the parking space, you order on your phone, you punch in your number, and somebody brings it to your car. Oh, I do cool. that still now, even don't go through the drive through. But you can't you can't pay cash that way. That's the problem. Oh, see, I'm so old school and cash. Yeah. I go through the drive through. Yeah. But I will say that one morning, my daughter and I were going to her softball game across town and I forgot my wallet. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, through the magic of my phone, yep. while in line, I'm panicking. I'm like, OK, what am I going to do? Zeely, do you have any money on you? No. OK, so. I downloaded the app. Mm-hmm. I transferred funds, I guess, through PayPal or something, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. And by the time I got up to the window, which moves quickly because it's mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A, boom, it was right there. I felt so hip. But I know exactly what you mean. Cause yeah. Sonic is the app is the same way. I love the Sonic app, too. Mm. Um, and I love because you can, first of all, half price drinks 
every time you use right. the well, app. Yeah, and they're tater tots, by the way. Yes, they're and, divine. So but I you're saying that, that if you use the app, it's half price? Yes, if you use drinks. the app, it's half price drinks all day, every day. So I drink tea like I'm going to, it's going out of style. So I pull up and get one of their giant teas and get half price on it. And sometimes I'll just get the tea. Sometimes like, okay. generally they talk you into getting more. But, but if you pay on the app, if you do it on the app, you pull up, you order it. You could order it before you get there, but I just always pull up in the stall. And then once you're done, you say, I'm here. You put in the stall number. You look up on the screen. And it says, hey, Beth, welcome back. Technology, and then it brings man. it back out to you. It's creepy, but it's, it's cool. I love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, so by the way, uh, neither Chick-fil-A nor no. Sonic are sponsors of this podcast. However, after Mike. But if you if would like to give us free right, years of food, absolutely. then please uh, yeah. reach out. Yeah. Uh, it's right there at themikeshow.com mm-hmm. if you would like to fill out the form and I will be in touch. No, so what am I saving up for on this? Why why do I keep going through Chick-fil-A and having them scan this app? At some point, am I going to be alerted, hey, you oh. got a free whatever? Am oh, I yeah. not checking my So you're probably email? not checking your points, first of all, because uh-huh. you probably already got points that you need to look at. Well, I'll do it. Hold on. Yeah. Let's just see right now. Yeah. And if you get to be a red member... Then you get like free birthday stuff. Like I get like every month or so something that goes, hey, you got a free this today. And it's like, okay, I'll go get my free brownie or my free, (laughs) you know, chicken nuggets or my whatever. So I do that all the time. And then a certain amount. So like, okay, you also every. Where do I go? My account? So yeah, go to your account. Then let's see. Do you see points on there? Uh, Hold on. Or rewards. Look at rewards. No, I don't see that. Past rewards. No. Add funds. Oh, rewards down the bottom. Oh, okay. Whoa, okay. Oh, you're you're so like if you scroll down, yeah. scroll down. Do you see points that you can redeem? Uh, I can redeem if they're they're if they're if they're like not grayed out. You can uh-huh. redeem them. So I've got oh I've got two thousand four hundred and sixty five points to yeah. redeem. What's that worth? Twenty four. Oh gosh, bucks? you could probably get you know oh, no. five six sandwiches. You could get all kinds of stuff for that because it's it started about two hundred points for a drink and up to like five six hundred. Right. For salad. And this is only half of my receipts. Think of the ones that... Yeah. that, that You'd almost be was, a red member. Right? And oh, see, a red member, yeah. if, you, if you're if you on a red member, you get... So, like, there's like three tiers. The lowest tier is you get 10 points extra for every napkins. dollar. You spend. Extra napkins is what I'm going to get. Yes. <laughs> and, like, if you're the silver member, you get 11 points for every dollar and oh. more stuff. And if you're, if you're a red member, you get 12 points for every dollar plus, like, your free birthday and this, that, and the other. But, like, for all of them, you add up for the points and you you get free stuff. So you just don't know. You've got free stuff right now. And I just noticed it doesn't expire till the end of this year. So. Yeah, so you've, you need to use your free stuff. Excellent. There was, like, a three-month period when COVID first started that I had enough because <laughs> – our, my old job at JDRF, I had, we all were racing to get to red, but then we'd all go buy lunch and go, I'm going to get it on my app because I'm going to order it today. So they go, oh man, they got the 400 <laughs> points today. So then, so then. Um, Chick-fil-A loved you guys. They did. They did. And so, um, so then when I, when I got furloughed first and then laid off, you know, I was kind of bored at that point. So I had like all these built up points. So I did Chick-fil-A for like a month without paying a thing. Cause nice. it was like, I'd go in there and go, Hey, I'm using these points, but yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah. Now, other than having your own personal Chick-fil-A. Yes. If you oh, were, I love that. right. If you so were um, only able to keep five possessions. And normally, I the way I think of this is like on a deserted island or right. something, you know. But that would be great to have a deserted island, but somehow there was Chick-fil-A yes. always available. Yes. I could live off of it. I could, I too. practically do. Me, too. Live off of Chick-fil-A. I told Brad earlier I wish he was chicken nuggets today. I was I wish he was Chick-fil-A nuggets today, but he was not. 
Um, so hey, just wait till I leave, and I, you guys can pick that up. <laughs> so your house, your car, your computer, your bed. If you know, if I'm being honest here, you know, like <laughs> yeah. like you should say, oh, I want my Bible, right, I want my this, right. I want my that, and I do, I would want my Bible, but like you know, if you're being honest, if you're by yourself on an island, wouldn't you really want your computer, your house, your bed? You, you know, what I mean, like things yeah. that made your life comfortable. Definitely want a bed. You know, I never thought of that. I asked this question and I didn't even think of that. Absolutely need a bed. I'm not sleeping on the sand or something yeah, on this I mean, little island. I'm perfectly good with the mosquito net and, you know, with the waves crashing, but I'd sure like a comfortable bed. You want that uh, yeah. teddy bear, right? Oh, he's coming with me. Giggy's it, coming with me. Okay. So how long have you had Giggy so, the teddy bear? I was either three or four. Oh, wow. It was, it was, um, you know, Christmas Eve and every Christmas Eve, we'd go over to my dad's mother's house, my grandmother's house on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. And, I told things to her that I didn't tell to anyone. I mean, I just, she, she was my babysitter growing up and everything. And, and I was um, not the oldest grandchild, but the first girl. And I don't know, we just really, we connected. So I told her things that I didn't tell anybody. So we're leaving on Christmas Eve and it's probably five o'clock on Christmas Eve. And that's back when people closed stores on Christmas Eve. I mean, people didn't stay open, right? And um, as we're walking out the door, my grandmother says, well, I sure do hope you get giggy. And my dad looked at her and said, what are you talking about? And he's, and she said, Giggy, the teddy bear she asked Santa Claus for like a month and a half ago. And he's like, uh, she didn't tell me we, she asked Giggy for uh, Santa Claus for Giggy. And grandmother was like, oh, she told me, I don't know why you didn't know. And he's like, uh, would have helped to know this. So, uh, Santa Claus traveled all over Nashville on Christmas Eve until he found Giggy at a drugstore. Okay. So, and back then, um, <laughs> a twenty dollar teddy bear in what nineteen seventy was I mean that's like buying a two hundred dollar teddy bear today. Right. But I woke up the next morning and Giggy was under that tree and that was all that mattered to me. And my dad said it was worth the money, worth the time, worth wow. everything else. So uh Giggy actually sitting on the bench. You probably passed him when you came in. He's got to lay on his neck right now. Oh so, I gotta check that out. Brad always says he wants to be cremated and thrown into um Lake Mead. I don't care where I am as long as Gigi's with me. That's all that matters. <laughs> so that is because a lot of parents will go to the end of the earth for their kids, yeah. you know, and I, how many of us have rolled up to a Walmart on Christmas Eve and it's already closed? You're yeah. like, oh no. He kept going. He went to That's every until cool. he found one. Yeah. And it so was worth it. Huh? It was worth it. Yeah. Very cool. Tell us about, obviously in the business, you've had run-ins with multiple celebrities. Tell us about Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> That was the one I was really starstruck for because, you know, like I said, I've, I've always been a Buffett fan, love Margaritaville, whatever. But I, you know, lived in Nashville, saw a lot of celebrities. I mean, you know, and it's funny. You can tell the ones that are nice people and the ones that aren't. Like, I remember one time um, when you actually went to meet people at the airplane. I worked at TNN. So a lot of times I would go pick up guests. To yeah, bring at the airport. To, yeah. yeah. So I, um, I was, and I'll tell you another story about that in a minute. But I went to meet a flight with a guy from L.A., um, I can't remember his name. I can see his face. But anyway, he did entertainment tonight and he was coming to audition for one of our. Was it John Tesh? No. um, Can't remember his name. But anyway, he was coming and I went to pick him up. And because he was flying from L.A., a lot of celebrities would fly on that flight. So Dolly Parton and Tom Wopat got off that same flight with him. Well, Tom Wopat was just a jerk to everybody that was asking for autographs. And Dolly Parton stopped and talked to everybody and gave autographs. And I started thinking, okay, that's, you know, that's. That shows you the difference right there. But Jimmy mm-hmm. Buffett. So when I got out of college and was looking for a job in the country music industry, I found a guy who actually worked with a Garth Brooks PR person. He did some stuff with Garth Brooks, but he gave me a job um, doing you know stage um, 
managing live events because he was like, okay, you know, you you know the behind the scenes stuff and I'll teach you even more. Um, so I did the Harlan Howard birthday bash for a couple of years in a row, which was a huge, it was a huge deal in the music industry where there would be 30 or 40 songwriters that would come and you'd have a couple of big names. And it was a, a big birthday bash for Harlan Howard, who was one of the best known songwriters in Nashville. And he would sit on stage and it was kind of, you know, they'd roast him a little bit and whatever, but they'd all come sing a song or two. And, you know, people that did, they're huge songwriters. Um, but so I'm, I'm backstage and I'm doing this. Yeah, I was the stage manager and I was back where I could let, I was the one to determine who got in and out of backstage. And, you know, everybody was told ahead of time, you can have a list of people, you know, let us know. And if their name's on the list, they'll let them, we'll let them in. If they're not, then, you know, we'll have to find out what the deal is. So mm-hmm. I'm standing back there trying to get Billy Dean on stage going, hey, it's your turn, you know, whatever. And kind of getting him on stage. And then um, the the we use this, this security company called Rock Solid Security. They were all really big, you know, former military guys. And, they were, <laughs> and so I hear this guy going, Beth, Beth. This guy's over here and he says he's not on a list, but he wants in. And I'm like, okay, who is it? You know, and I look around and he goes, says his name is Jim. And I turn around and there's Jimmy Buffett standing there. <laughs> his and name he, is Jim. He had no idea who he was. Oh, and no. I'm like going, uh. And what year was this? This was probably 90 or 91. Wow. And I'm like, let him in. Bro. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So God. Mac McAnally, who plays in his band, writes a of songs in Nashville. He writes a ton for Kenny Chesney. Mm-hmm. He he writes um, a lot of songs that people have heard. Um, and he was going to be on stage and Jimmy was in town and wanted to see him. Oh, cool. And he, you know, he didn't know he was supposed to be on a list. He was like, you know, Mac told me he's doing this show tonight. I want to come down to see him. So it was funny because back then nobody had cell phones. So like, you know, to get your picture. So I'm like walking around looking for the the main photographer for the event going, you've got to somehow come over here and like not make me look like a goober, but say, you you know, that you need Jimmy's picture with the stage manager. And I got that picture. I don't remember where it is somewhere around here, but uh, I remember exactly what I'm wearing. You know, the whole thing. But <laughs> That's yeah, really I, was, cool. I was a little starstruck at that. And he I was nice. I really, he was very nice. Cool. He was very pleasant. And, Despite you know, the yes. lack of being recognized. No, he didn't care at all. Because that really sets a lot of celebrities off. Like, don't oh. you know who I am? What are you talking about? You don't know who I am. And so I'm glad to hear that Mr. Laidback, you know, playing at the beach with oh. his sandals is... Uh, he was that laidback. That's Because I, I was the, the producer for the Wild Horse Saloon Show, and we had a guest on every show, and we had some that would just lose their ever-loving minds if security didn't know who they were oh, immediately. Gosh, and it was stop. like, okay, get over yourself. And that's really. the thing, is these celebrities that, in that case specifically... They're upset that security doesn't recognize you. Would you like just somebody to come in here while you're performing that security yeah. just waves through because they had a convincing story? Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of them standing between you and some crazy person anyway. I, I don't box. like to tell bad stories on people, but I will tell this one because I, I thought it was so tacky. Okay. So we had Clint Black down there one night. And um, so there was... A, and actually, if you've seen the bombing pictures on Second Avenue, you'll kind of recognize this. If you there's a there's a side to Second Avenue that faced the road, and then the First Avenue side is where you could go under the building. So there was that's where the garages were. So we I would have the celebrities come under the building down there, and it was dug out, and that's where security was down there. Well, there was there's probably only ten parking spaces. These are small old buildings, so you know the, the, when you come in, they'd have to. You'd have to leave your keys because they'd have to move cars around and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So security always moved cars around down there. So Clint pulled in, got his, you know, went did his thing. And then when he left, now I'll say the guy shouldn't have done this, but the security guy put a tape, a demo tape in his tape deck. Oh. Clint called and had him fired. Oh, come on. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, just throw it away. Right. You don't have to just throw it away. You don't know see. See, that's over the top. 
Oh, I have to tell you one more story that oh, I forgot from earlier. That's heartbreaking. It is. I mean, the guy thought outside the box. He did. It's Nashville. Yeah. Nashville is where you're trying to right. make an I, impression. Clint Black knew that. Come knew on. That, yeah. What a jerk move by Clint Black. I really hate to hear that, but okay, whatever. Remember, we were talking about going up to the to the gate to get people for the, at the airport. So one time I got the assignment of picking up Phyllis Diller what? from the plane. She was coming. We had a cooking show with Florence Henderson, you know, uh-huh, yeah. and so she was coming to be on the show. And um, so they're like, you know, Phil, you know who Phyllis Diller is. And I'm like, yeah, I know who Phyllis Diller is. And they're like, well, you go pick her up. I'm like, sure. So I go to the airport and go to the gate. And I'm thinking, okay, she's not going to be dressed like Phyllis Diller, right? She's going to be dressed like down, right? Nope. She oh, got off that plane. Always like Phyllis that. Diller. And I was like, I, I cracked up. So I got her in the car and took her. I said, you know, she was she was really nice. She was funny. She's like, honey, I'm a thousand years old. I need to take a shower before I come to the studio. Can you drop me off? You've been a little doll. I mean, she was just, she was hysterical. But she looked just like Phyllis Diller. I, I was just expecting for her to be like, you know, normal people. But no, she was Phyllis Diller. <laughs> no. Yeah. You're a big fan of 90210. Huge fan of 90210. Okay. So that, thrilled that Pluto has it running 24 hours a day now. That's, I just... That surprises me. It yeah. doesn't seem like that would be in your wheelhouse. I don't know why I think that, but I just don't think, oh, I bet Beth's a huge Beverly Hills 90210 fan, but you love the show I love mindless day. television. And it was not in my age group. It was not in my age group. Right. So what happened was um, I was married at the time and I had two stepchildren, Courtney and Tanner. Tanner was handicapped. And so all he ever watched was Disney movies. And he had like four that we went between. And occasionally he would watch SpongeBob on TV if I had to get a TV out and not a VCR, right? Okay. So whenever he was with us, uh, Jim would always work and I would stay home and take care of them because I had the more flexible job. I had the job that, you know, if we weren't in production, I could say, you know, and we just would schedule the kids coming around my production. So, you know, I'd say, hey, I'd, I'd stay home. So one day he had finally gone to sleep, which was always difficult because when he was mm. in a new place, which I mean, even though, you know, our house wasn't new to him. It was it was different than his normal daily routine, okay. right? So when when he finally went to sleep one day, Courtney, who was at the time in her early teens, maybe 12, 13, 14, um, she, you know, she looked at me. She said, can I turn the TV on something else? And I said, you can turn it on anything as long as it is not animated. It cannot be a cartoon. <laughs> anything you turn it on yeah. that is not animated is fine with me. She turned it on 90210. I sat down with her, hooked, totally hooked, I started recording them so mm. that I could watch them when I came home from work. And then, of course, it was on the soap opera network for a while. So while it was on there where they'd run, you know, six or seven on a Saturday, I got to where I binged them. And I know I can t- tell you almost everything that's happened in every 9021 episode every season. Well, is it safe to say that some of the infatuation of the show is because of Luke Perry? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 100%. And... Someone we definitely lost way too way soon. Way too young. So he's listed here as, and I almost put on here, you know, if you could go back in history, who would you like to meet? You can't say Jesus. You, of course, did say Jesus or Luke Perry. Yes, that's what I said. So what would you uh, what would you talk to old Luke Perry about? I don't even, I just think he's a cool guy. And yeah. he, he moved to a little ranch outside of Nashville before he died. And he, huh. he was he was in Nashville a lot. I never got to meet him. But he was, I talked to people that did know him that said he was just a cool guy. Seemed like it, yeah. And he also played Lane Frost in uh, the movie Eight Seconds. Yes. And I am a big rodeo fan and Yeah, love you that. did some stuff with the with PBR. What, tell us what your So my old there. boss created the PBR. So we were doing ah. National Finals Rodeo and, 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 
a rodeo series leading up to national finals for TNN. So I worked on those some. And then um, we what he would do every year is he would sell um, the bull riding tapes of um, like, I can't remember, it was like busts and rides or whatever, something like that. And the the money he made from those would be our um, bonus, Christmas bonus every year. So we were all very vested in how these bull riding tapes did. But then after a while, I just really got, I loved the rodeo. It was just great. So I always asked to be put on the rodeo. So any of the live events, I would go on and, and associate direct those. So I would help him, you know, talk back to the studio, find out when we we're coming back to break and all that stuff, time the segments, do all that stuff. So I did all that for a long time. And so I got to know who Lane Frost was. He was already died by the time I started, but we we taped Lane for years and, and everybody, so everybody knew him. So when Luke Perry played him, a lot of the people that he consulted with were still in our rodeo wow and so but um but alan finally started the professional bull riders because he said you know that's where the money is he says you know we've been that's where the numbers always were when you did the 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 regular rodeo you'd always see that you had the most people coming to watch in the bull riding events so he reached out to two or three of the bull riders and said hey i'm willing to spend all the money up front and create this television show and get you a national deal if you guys will put an association together there were no point systems for a while and they mm. did that so that the audience could follow along i mean it was just like people go oh, i think he wrote it the best but there was no like you know he got an 80 point ride or a 70 point whatever it was it was like wow yeah so so but he he got together with them and said hey i think there's more money to be made than than just taking a purse at a rodeo i think you could actually focus on one event and make the money so i will say that that whenever i would flip through cable channels Mm -hmm. mindlessly as a kid when did when did that start because i remember you know if i'm if i'm scrolling through and it was on tnn it was on tnn yeah i if it was a country music video or some show no interest right but I actually did stop for a moment or two to watch a guy on a bull. Yeah. So they started the rodeo. Gosh, Reedland had been there six or seven years before I got there. So it would have been early 80s mm-hmm. when TNN very first started. They started um, and they were one of the very first cable networks. There was only 30 cable networks then. They were one of the very first. Right. So they started that then. And then the bull riding itself didn't start until mid 90s just by itself. I mean, it was part of the regular rodeo, but didn't start till mid 90s by itself. But it did then. And it. I mean, PBR is still around. He sold off his um, portion of that. Gosh, it's been almost 20 years ago. Wow. And he, uh, I was actually talking to him this week. He's about to sell his very, very high-priced condo in Miami. Uh, he's got a very high-priced apartment in Manhattan, but he's like, I'm tired of the Manhattan politics. We're going to move to Miami permanently. So they're mm-hmm. looking for another place. But he made all that money off of the rights to bull riding. That's cool. Because that was, you know. His father also. I'm the buyer, by the way. Yes. I didn't want to tell you. Yeah, that. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I looked it up. Three point eight million. I was like, oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, uh, his father started College Bowl too, so he came from a family that okay. started like, yeah. So I don't know a lot about professional bull riding, but I stay on for eight seconds. Oh, I know this. Yeah, I know yeah. this. But um, I've been told that uh, bodacious. Bodacious, he's the one that messed up Tuff Hedeman. Okay, but he's the most famous bull ever, right? correct. Okay, did you have any run You talk about run-ins with celebrities. Did you ever have a run-in with Bodacious? Yeah, you mean And how was his temperament as far as celebrities go? So, Bodacious was... like every other bull in the shoot, unpredictable. So, you would would go back behind the shoots and everybody always told you, you know, you walk... Like, know where you are, walk a certain way. If a bull's got his back to you... Go give him a lot of, yeah, because they can kick through the bars and and they're pretty easy. Bodacious really was a very calm backstage and behind the shoots. 
He knew how to hurt riders. He figured he was a smart bull, very smart bull, because not all bulls are smart. Some mm-hmm. bulls are just like, what the hell? This thing's on my back. Get it off my back. He wanted the rider off his back, and he figured out how to do it. So he would take, um, he could learn, because cowboys have a hand they hold, and they turn. They know how to turn different directions depending on how they, they do their, their rope, right? So he learned when a rope was put on him how the cowboy was going to lean and he would get out there and he would take him in a spin, get him a little bit off balance. And then he would take his front part up and he had a hump on his back. He would take his front part up. And when he when he came down, he knew the force would make them their head drive into his hump. He knocked out more cowboys that way. He learned how to do it. And then, they, of course, you know, once they're knocked out, you can knock them off of you pretty quick. But oh. he 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 almost killed Tuff Edelman, almost. And we had that footage. That was the that was one of our rodeos. Um, he. um you know, he he knew Tuff had had problems with him before. A Tuff was a tough rider. I mean, he was he was world champion, and um, he when Tuff threw him, people begged him not to get on him, but he did, and um, he nearly killed him. If he Tuff turned his head, thank goodness, slightly when he hit, so it knocked a complete eye socket out. He had to have an eye completely rebuilt. Had to have most of his side of his face completely rebuilt. Had he hit him straight on, probably the cartilage from his nose would have gone through his brain and killed him. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It was, uh, we ran into Tuff Hedeman last year. It was, or year before last. It was uh, when we went to storm the gates at Area 51. So <laughs> we were there? at a gas station outside of Vegas and oh. Tuff was standing in there and I walked up to him like, Tuff. And he's like, hey. And I'm like, you remember me from working on board? And he's like, yeah. And he did, actually did an event for JDRF with me too. Oh, cool. And I'm like, how weird. And I'm like, what are you doing in this gas station out of Las Vegas? He's like, Cause he's like, what's going on? I'm like, everybody's going to storm the gates. He's like, oh, I gotta like a cowboy shop opening up the road. I'm selling hats today. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, small so, world, yeah, it man. Is a small world. Okay, so tell us about your earliest memory where you're standing in your baby bed singing, leaving on a jet plane. Yes, my mother. So, and I did not do the Peter Paul and Mary version. My mother was a John oh. Denver fan, and John Denver wrote it and did it on his record. So. I sang that song nonstop. I mean, I sang it nonstop. But I remember I walked early, very early. In fact, it was funny. There's, you know, how parents have, at least our age group, pictures of you at three, six, nine, 12 months in the hall. In the hallway, yeah. Yeah. So the the six-month picture where everybody's supposed to be crawling, um, I was sitting up in that picture, but mom said that that the whole point was they couldn't keep me sitting. And I kept walking off from the photographer. And they're like, she's walking at like... You know, I don't know. Nobody told me not to, so I did. So um, <laughs> I also was completely bald as a baby. So my parents would scotch tape bows to my head so that people would stop asking how the little boy was. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they, they scotch tape bows to my head. So, But no, I remember, I remember where my room was growing up, and I remember they had the baby bed facing the door down the hallway so that they could, you know, leave the door open and kind of look in without, you know, without having to go all the way in or whatever. And I remember I woke up from a nap and I wanted them to know I was awake and I'm standing. So the, the bars, the baby bed are facing and I'm holding the bars, singing, leaving on a jet plane and, and <laughs> doing the bars like that. I remember that oh, vividly. My. That was my first memory for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So let's talk about your parents. Mm-hmm. You say that your mom has had the biggest impact on you. How mm-hmm. so? Well, that's a good question. You know, my mom and I were very close growing up. Being that my sister is seven years younger, my mom and I were by ourselves a lot because my dad worked. My mom was a elementary school teacher. Then she ran a daycare, which I went to. Then she was the kindergarten teacher. I was her student, one of her students in her class. So 
I went to work with mom every day because, you know, it was the daycare center and the That must really lessen the blow of being in a daycare as if it your did. mom's yeah. there. Yeah, my mom was. And so, like, you know, I was, if I wasn't, you know, I was in the classes with the other kids, but then I'd go sit in her office. She had a little office and everything. It was at a church. You know, mm-hmm. she, it was a church we went to. And they, you know, they knew she had been an elementary school teacher, but that she wanted to spend time with me when I was born. So they gave her this job. And so we did that. So, um you know, she, my mom is, is, she is a quiet person, but she is um, very smart, very deep, very caring, very traditional, loves Christmas more than anybody you've ever met. Um, more than Amber Fisher? More than Amber Fisher. Oh my, my goodness. My mother has seven or eight Christmas trees in her house every year. She, I mean, takes her months to put them up and take them down. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> this year she was, she did very well. I was I was worried about her because we ended up having to come for Christmas about two weeks into January because my sister and my nephew had COVID at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so and I hadn't seen him in a year, which is very unusual. I go home more than that. But because of COVID, I had been, not been home in a year. Yeah. And um, mom, because she has the heart of a of a school teacher and she's she's just she's probably made the biggest impact on me. She is my biggest supporter. You know, if I get down about stuff, I call her and she's like, you know, you got this. It's OK. You know, God's got you. It's going to be all right. And maybe the second biggest influence on my life is your wife, because <laughs> oh. I call her about everything. I drive her crazy. And we were on the phone this week about Nephilim. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, OK. So I, I've been doing a lot of work for Daystar. And I was raised very Southern Baptist. Uh-huh. So, and your wife and I talk about this, about, you know, the Lutheran church has different feelings than the Southern Baptist do. So I'm always asking her, well, what does the Lutheran church think on this? And what are your thoughts on this? But I've been doing a lot of work for Daystar and there's a lot of Pentecostal people that come through there. That's great. I have no problem with that, but it's not things that I know. Mm-hmm. So every time they, they run into something that I don't know, I'm like, I call Carrie. I'm like, the Southern Baptist did not teach me this. What are the Nephilim? Why are they in the Bible? Is this for real? Are they like pulling my leg on this? And so we had a good hour conversation on the Nephilim earlier this week wow yeah that's interesting yeah so hmm. anyway are those the ones that are listed in genesis four six. genesis six, six or, yes yeah look them up there and some people think what they is were that? giants yeah what is that so the common theory which your wife is not sure about and i'm not either i'm kind of like because mm. my theory is the coast to coast am theory okay well this is probably it <laughs> that fallen angels came down and mated with Oh, well. The sons of man, which is, you know, okay. female. Well, maybe it's not my theory, and but then, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. Then they became a mixed blood race. So it was okay. no longer a God created race. It was the fallen angels. And then they became giants. And the whole point was they wanted to be, have better people than God created and take the bloodline out before Jesus. That's, that's what I was. You never know what you're yeah. going to get on this. Podcast. Exactly. Exactly. That's fine. So I don't know the, how much of that is true, but they are mentioned in the Bible a couple of times, but specifically the first times of Genesis six and then again in Job or I don't know something. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Your dad wanted you to be a banker. He did. And he still does. He would he would like for me to bank, be a banker right now, but you know, would, have you ever had an inclination to be a banker? No. Well, not even for like five minutes. No, other than during this economy, I kind of wished I yeah. was during COVID. But um, I looked at Brad the other day and said, I wonder if I could still be a banker like my dad wants. But um, <laughs> so, no, my dad was a banker. And I did love going to work with him, too. He was the marketing director for Nashville City Bank when I was a little kid. In fact, I have upstairs, Brad cracks at me for the things that I keep because I have the teddy bear and I have whatever. But when he um, 
was a banker. They used to open up a checking account and they'd give you something promotional. Yeah, like so a toaster. I have, yeah, but like they they did these little plastic mice and and rabbits that were piggy banks that they would give for you to take home your kids when you yeah. open up a checking account. Uh-huh. And the, the little I have a little mouse with a football uniform on, and a mouse with a farmer mouse, and a mouse with a cheerleader. Because I would always get these because you know we didn't have to open up the checking accounts. It was just the promotional thing that they get, and they're like this big. They're like. I mean, it's it's a funny thing, but I would go to work with him, um, and I think he just always thought I would become a banker. Um, I did try teaching because, like I said, my mom is elementary school teacher. Mm-hmm. So when I got out of college, I thought maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have been a teacher. So I uh, went to the city board and found out how to be qualified for a sub- substitute teacher so that I determined whether I should go back and get my education degree. After about a month or two of substitute teaching, I thought I would kill these children. Right. Things are different than they were when I was in school because, yeah. you know. Am I was, allowed to strangle them? No, I'm not interested. Then I'm, then. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. It was really they, because of where my, like I said, I live 10 minutes from downtown Nashville. So we were kind of considered, we weren't inner city, but we were in the suburbs right outside. So they sent me a lot of times to inner city schools. Mm-hmm. And um, whew, that's when I learned how much of a problem we have in our inner city schools <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. I mean, seriously. And it was... um eye-opening to say the least and i was like hmm, not doing that because i would be in trouble for killing somebody i would yeah i mean I, I could not keep my temper in check for that i had one school the school where my mother had first started teaching they called me and i had six graders they were bigger than me and much meaner than me mm. and um i made it through the day the principal came up at the end of the day and he said you're the first substitute teacher we've had in two years has made this made it through the day can i call you back and i said never ever call me again <laughs> So you just said something there, like you have what, like an anger issue or something? It's not angry. I like things to go my way. So like my father calls me the little general (laughs) because I want everything to go exactly the way I think it should be done. Okay. It's not that you're wrong. It's just that I'm right. That's just the way it is. What's the most angry you've ever been in your life that you would care to share? Oh, boy. Like, did you break something? Like, do you break things when you get like into a... Well, here's the thing. It actually takes a lot to push me to that point. But then when I get to that point, I lose it. And I mean, (laughs) lose it. And so most of the people that know me very well know when I'm close to that point and they just go, "Okay, we're done. And they back up and it's okay. Um, And then I go walk around and I'm, you know, take a little time and it's okay. Um, I remember just blacking out. I was so mad at something that happened at work. And it was when I was work, working with TNN that my, my, so the boss that created professional bull riding, he definitely had an anger issue. He threw things and did stuff all the time. And he did something that I was so upset. I don't even remember what it was now, but I was so upset about it that I remember feeling the blood rush out of my face. And I started crying, which the reason I cried was not because I was upset. It was because I knew how angry I was. And if I didn't let it out by crying, I was going to scream words at him that was going to make sure I would never work there again. I mean, it was like, Mm. and I knew that. So it was like, instead of saying everything that I felt like I needed to say, I cried instead. But I remember feeling it and thinking, I'm going to black out. I'm like, I'm holding it all in so badly that I'm going to black out. But I didn't. So I just cried instead. And I remember him saying, why are you crying? And me going, don't even ask me that. (laughs) Because, yeah. So, um... Tell us about Mojo and what you guys yeah. do with uh, Mojo Five O. Yeah, so um, as you as you know, First Amendment is a little bit under attack these days. A little bit, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started Mojo with Doc Thompson. Um, Doc was uh, obviously a good friend of ours. It's been over two years since Doc died. I That's can't f- believe it. Right? Cannot believe it. Just a few weeks ago, we saw a story about a guy that hit by a train in Halton City and died. And it was so close. It was like, Mm-mm. wow, it was within like a week. And it was like, 
Oh, wow. But um, mm. so when when we were still at the other place, um, you know, got to be really good friends with Doc. And um, as people, as you know, there was a big reduction in force. So Brad and I were let go at the same time. But a lot of other people, good people were let go, too. And um, Wait, so, you, it sounds like you're saying that you and Brad aren't good people. Well, yeah. Look, I mean, Brad and I were let go <laughs> and some it's good people. Good people. Yeah. But so, you know, over time, Doc and I stayed in contact and Brad and we he was like, you know, he was wanting actually to expand his brand with with the place um, and had kind of reached out about that. But. We knew that there was just not a place for people um, that couldn't get in at the Blaze or one of these Fox or one of these networks. So he wanted to start a network that um, was a voice for those people because there are a lot of people out there that have a lot to say. Mm -hmm. So we started it, um, which is funny. I've I've been promos are playing that are still playing that ones that Doc wrote, you know, still still playing. But um, one of our main station promos is seditious rabble rousing. And now that's a bad term. I mean, it wasn't when we started the network. When we started the network, um, we did it to say, hey, people, you're going to lose your liberties. You're going to lose your freedom. You need to get rowdy about things. You mm-hmm. need to, to let people know what's going on in this world, which I still believe. And, I, I you know, I, I, Doc's head would be exploding at what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would absolutely be exploding. But when Doc died, um, I remember we sat around that room that night. Yuna and I were on the phone. And she was the first thing she said is, don't let Mojo die. This was Doc's dream. Don't let it die. So there have been days I wanted to kill it. But, um, mm. you know, it it was his dream. And I it morphs for me all the time. Like, you know, we would love for it to be a great big commercial success and retire off of it. But I also know that even if it's not that, we are providing good information and we're providing an outlet for people that don't have an outlet at other places. We are fighting for the First Amendment and the Second Amendment and the Constitution. And, um, you know, we take a more libertarian stance, but we are we lean conservative. And uh, there's a little bit of something for everybody. You know, there, there's people you love to hate on there. I mean, Dominic is how people hate him, but he he gets people talking, which is great. Um, so how can people find Mojo if they want to check it out? Mojo50.com. That's Mojo and the numerals, 50.com. You can find us on there everywhere that we um, play, but we also are on iHeart uh, Radio. Nice. And so you can put it in your car. You can play it anywhere. That's how I listen to it most of the time. Excellent. You can download the podcast off of Spreaker, you know, Stitcher, Apple, whatever. But um, we do run live programming 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Very cool. Yeah. So. Mojo Five O. Yeah. All right. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Oh, there's a good question. Um, <laughs> I'm Beth E. Not Twitter, at Beth E. Not. Um, I don't tweet much, but I retweet and like tweets a lot. Um, okay. I'm on Facebook. And I think I'm Beth E. Not on Facebook as well. Okay. Um, Beth E. Not K N O T T K N O T T. And on Instagram, you're Real Doc Kitty. I well, I have is my own Instagram account? page, but I started an Instagram page for Real Doc Kitty because oh. people really liked cat posts much better than I liked anything I had to say. So <laughs> I started right. Real Doc. It was funny because you have to go through the process. You have to create him in his account. It was like I was a parent of a child. I had to give them all these, and I'm like, yes, he's my child. I'll give him this right and that right. But no, he can't be on after midnight. And you know what? <laughs> so it's funny. So, ah, that's yeah, funny. he gets far more activity than I do. So. All right. Well, uh, anything we uh, haven't covered yet? I don't think so. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much. Joining Absolutely. Me. Beth Knott, uh, Mojo50.com. Thanks for making time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Keith. Beth is one of the good ones in the radio business. I hope you'll check out Mojo 50, started by our departed friend, Doc Thompson. Mojo was meant to be a beacon of freedom in a world where sharing your opinion is a risky venture for sure. I hope you'll see what they're doing over at Mojo50.com. That's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of At The Mic. Next week, 
I'm joined by Cambry Nelson. Speaking of sharing your opinion, she's outspoken to be sure, and I hope you'll join me for that conversation. In the meantime, please head over to atthemikeshow.com. Got your archived episodes over there. We're closing in on 50 of them. Sponsorship information is there, along with ways to connect through either an email or voicemail. And you're even able to donate there if you would like to help keep the lights on. Until next week, please be well. And as always, thank you for listening to At The Mic. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect. 